Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Well, hello there, and welcome to Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. Today, I'm joined by Robert Raymond Riopel. He's the author of the international bestseller, Success Left a Clue. He's also an entrepreneur, an app developer, and trainer who has spent the past 18 years traveling around the world, sharing his passion. He has shared the stage with and trained many of the top trainers and thought leaders of the world today. Hello, Robert, and welcome to Back to Basics. Ah, thank you so much. I'm feeling so excited to be here. Well, I'm very excited as well because uh, I do a little research before I have my guests on the show and when I invite them and when they reach out. And so I know I'm going to be inspired at the end of this episode. (laughs) Oh, the pressure, the pressure. (laughs) Yes. And I know you're a funny guy, too, so it's going to be entertainment. (laughs) So tell me, Robert, about your journey. I always like to begin at the beginning with where are you from and, uh, you know, getting to know Robert, little Robert, as I call it, uh, the little guys behind my guests. Well, you know, I come from my mother. (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I live in central Alberta in Canada, born and bred Canadian. And, uh, you know, when I was raised, I was actually taught, here's the box. Don't think outside the box. Don't question the box. That's the box. That's, that's what it is. And so as I, one of the things I was taught growing up about work as an example is that when it comes to work, you, if you have something that's secure, and I laugh when I say that word, and pays an income that can support your family, even if you don't like it, you do the work because it takes care of your family. And that's kind of the way I was raised and, and be, make sure you stay loyal and you work hard. So as I started into the workforce and I've been working since a young age, nine years old, I was doing my first paper route, oh. 11 years old, get this. And, and please, this is a disclaimer. I am not suggesting anybody does this with their <laughs> children today, okay. but at the age of 11, my summer job, five days a week for eight hours a day, I was babysitting three kids. You're kidding me. <laughs> One was an infant, including having to change diapers, make lunch, oh my feed God. with the bottle. I was. I look back and I go, who in their right mind was letting an 11-year-old take I care know. of their kids? And this is funny because I just had lunch with my sister and she has 12-year-old twins and I have 10 and 6. And we're talking about when is it the, the day that they can babysit for me? And we think at 12, they're still not old enough. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and that's how I spent my whole summer, five days a week. So mom and dad could be working. I look back and I'm going, that's crazy. But so, and I've always been an entrepreneur that way. But when it came to work, it was okay, get a job. So here I am, it's, I'm 21. I'm still a newlywed. And all of a sudden I'm being laid off from the third job because they're shutting down a factory I was working in. Oh, and wow. I'm going, what's going on here? I'm working hard. I'm staying loyal. Actually, you know, Leticia, I started getting a complex thinking, is it me? Every company I work for ends up closing down. Was it something I said? <laughs> something I'm doing? <laughs> the Robert effect. 
<laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> and here in central Alberta in 1989, we were in the middle of an oil bust. Again, oil prices are down. There's no economy and I can't find a real job. But luckily my parents, they taught me, you do whatever it takes to support your family. So I thought I'm going to take, do something. And I didn't look at it as a real job, but I started delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. I thought I'll do this till I find that real job. But pretty quickly, I actually started making more money doing that because of my work ethic. You know, at 21, I was the old guy for <laughs> delivery drivers. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so because all the 16, 17, 18 year olds wanted to party all the time, I always knew I could get their closing shifts if they didn't want to work. So I'm working. And because of my work ethic, a few months in, I'm able to become a manager. And my wife becomes my assistant manager. And again, what do we do? We start working hard, open to close seven days a week. And I don't know how much you know about Domino's Pizza, but in Domino's Pizza, you cannot just buy a, a franchise. You actually have to successfully manage a store for at least a year, meet a bunch of criteria. Hmm. And if you do, then you're qualified to be a franchisee and they will waive the upfront franchise fee. But of course, you still have to have money to buy or build a store. Mm -hmm. And so a year and a half in, my wife and I are now qualified franchisees. But all of a sudden, it's about to happen again. My franchisee comes and says, by the way, I'm letting you know I'm getting out of Domino's Pizza, so I'm selling my two stores. Mm -hmm. And we'd watched enough stores get sold around us. We knew that our jobs were going to be gone the moment a new owner came in because they brought in their own team. I went into panic mode. Because I'm like, we've got to start phoning the other franchisees. We've got to find out if there's another store. My wife's looking at me as we're having this conversation. goes, why would we do that? Why don't we just buy the store? Hmm. And I look at her. I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why <laughs> we won't buy the store. Like, hello. <laughs> but I will tell you, uh, I'm one of the many ways I'm blessed is my wife is one of these people. If I was the in-the-box thinker, yeah. she's like, what box? That's There great. is no box. Uh, the running joke in our family, because my wife and I actually met when we were 13. Oh. We started dating when we were 16. You weren't babysitting for her, I hope. No, I wasn't babysitting <laughs> for her. Nope. We got married when we were 19. And I actually, we just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Please do not do the math on how old I am. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> But that's pretty, pretty impressive these days. Oh, uh, well, we, the, the running joke is, is I was innocent. Uh -huh. until I met my wife. <laughs> and then she started to corrupt me in all the good ways because she's like, look, there's got to be a way we can do this. We're qualified. There's got to be a way. So we started looking, how do you, and learning, how do you buy a business if you don't have money? And we made a lot of mistakes. Oh my goodness, we made a lot of mistakes. We would say the wrong things. We'd get turned down for a loan. Someone the one time came up and said, I'll help you get a loan. I have lots of investors. My fee up front is $1,000. And so we paid that fee and then all of a sudden they're going, oh, sorry, none of my investors are interested, but the fee was non-refundable. Oh and so we started learning what to say and what not to say. And about four months in, all of a sudden we had the confidence to actually, we were talking to our bank and I'm a big uh, proponent to keep great relationships with, especially in business with your banks and the people you know, around you, because don't be the problem customer where they only ever hear from you when something's going wrong. Even today, I know the tellers at my local branch. I know the bank manager. I know the loan officers. Because when we walked into the bank and we couldn't here in Alberta, we couldn't get an appointment with the um, branch business manager 
Because back then you had to know someone who knew someone who knew someone before a bank business person would look to you. And we're with the actual branch manager who loved my wife and I because she saw how hardworking we were. And we're talking to her in her office and she goes, so how's it going with the store? And we're like, not going good. She goes, well, have you talked to Grant in the business office? And we're like, no, we can't get an appointment with him. She literally stood up, took us by the hand and walked us across the branch, knocked on his door and said, Grant, this is Robert and Roxanne Realpel, hardworking kids, because we were 23 at the time, so we're mm-hmm. still kids. <laughs> he said, they manage Domino's Pizza and they're looking to buy it. Take care of them. And because of that introduction, he sat us down. Now, had we talked to him four months earlier, we probably would have blown it because we wouldn't have known what to say. But now, because of that experience, and we learned from every time we made a mistake, when we sat down, he didn't give us the financing for the store. He actually gave us 100% financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. Wow. And we became franchisees, and we're like, we're now successful. Uh, yes. <laughs> I can sense what that's going. But that, that, at that moment, you did celebrate that because that's a big milestone. When we look back now, we realized we knew how to run a Domino's pizza, but we didn't know how to run a business. And there's a world of difference there. And so the first couple of years, we didn't think we could afford an accountant, as an example. You know, our easy answer was, we'll do the accounting on our own. Uh, hello, we were already working 70, 80 hours a week in the store. Of course, we had lots of time to do the accounting. Exactly. <laughs> a couple of years later, <laughs> when the government's going, hello, you need some book work done. Um, we need reports. We finally hired an accountant and we, through the stress, got everything caught up. And the accountants looked at it and went, how did you guys survive the last couple of years? There's no way you should have been able to make it. But thank goodness, ignorance was bliss back then. See, our whole system for success was, if there's money in the bank, we must be doing okay. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but as we learned the numbers, also we started being able to do better. We learned, because we're learners. We love to learn. And we started doing good. But unfortunately, our programming, something, and, and Leticia, I'm about to shock you. Because I'm about to tell you something that we did that you've probably never experienced anybody else ever has ever done. Okay. So hold on. Are you ready? Everybody listen up. This is a... (laughs) We started spending more money than we were earning. Oh, Oh. (laughs) yes. I know know that's shocking. (laughs) Yes. No one's ever done that. Nobody can relate to you right now. And by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're now over $150,000 in personal debt and going down quickly. And that's when we were introduced to personal development. And, you know, we had been introduced before, but it was like, I don't need that stuff. You know, I I remember my brother-in-law came home the one day and again, dating myself. He said, look what I got in the mail. These cassette tapes from Tony Robbins. You got to listen to these. And I'm like, I don't need to listen to that. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) Ego is an interesting thing. Yes. And so because we're now so stressed out, we um, stumbled across a three-day training. And when we went to it, we learned why we were spending money the way we did and why we were in debt, you know, where it came from and how to manage our money because we weren't. We second learned, and more importantly, was how to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. See, we had to quit blaming people. Well, they lost our investment or it's because of this. We took responsibility for our spending. 
And then we, the third thing we really learned was if we wanted to get out of that debt, what did we need to do? And when we left that training in North America, I know the stats, only 3% of people will actually utilize new information that they've been taught. And that's a sad statistic. And probably the only reason we did is because we were so stressed out, we had to change. You had no option. And so we started, yeah, we started putting in practice what we learned. And all of a sudden we were able to go from being over $150,000 in debt to actually retired completely financially free nine months later at the age of 32. Oh my God, that's major. Yeah, and our minds went, wow, that worked. (laughs) If this information could give us that result, what would more learning do? And that's when we started a deep dive into personal development, learning. I'm a big believer, and I definitely want your audience to listen to this as well. Don't just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. Learn from as many people as you can. Take the nuggets of gold or as clues, as I call them, that you can from as many people. Because while we were doing that, I found my passion. My passion was to teach, and my dream started like this. It wasn't a huge, big dream. It was if I could help one person, one person do what my wife and I had been able to do, go from being deep in debt to financially free, it'd make it all worthwhile. And for your listeners, here's what I want them to understand. That one person that you start with is sitting in your seat right now. You start with, how can I grow? And so that was where my goal started. And now for the last 18 and a half plus years, I've now personally trained around the world several times and personally trained over a half a million people in anywhere from 100 at a time to 6,000 at a time for three to five intensive days where I'm on stage for up to 12 hours a day living my passion. And so that is- um, you know, my journey's led to me to the life where I'm like, I, I still go, pinch me. How am I so blessed? <laughs> and there's been a lot of ups and downs. It's never, it's not just been all good. I want people to understand that as well. No, and that's a fascinating story. And uh, I thank you for, for you know, take it. It's almost like I, I was in the journey with you and your wife in terms of, you know, and those of us that are entrepreneurs or own their own business can definitely relate to like managing a business and just taking care of the day to day and then forgetting that at the end of the day, you know, the money in the bank and <laughs> and your personal debt are the most important indicators that you should pay, pay attention to. And so, yeah. and, and I know that because you're very passionate about it, I know and I read somewhere that, that you pose a question that I found intriguing. So, and maybe you gave the answer in what you were saying, but you said in one of your books or readings, uh, why is it people can have, that have less knowledge and experience, you know, make more money than those that have more experience? What's yes. the answer to that? Well, and, and that's, yeah, that's actually the whole premise of my new book I'm writing right now called the authority key is the people that make more money are the ones seen as the authority, even if they have less knowledge and experience. And what I do is, is it's interesting because I'm such a, I I could teach people all the practical skills. Like right now you are a podcast host that instantly elevates your authority criteria. So there's a lot of practical things you can do to be an authority. But what I really want to do a deep dive in with people is who are you as the person? What's going on inside of you that's either supporting your success and moving forward or the little things that are sabotaging that you don't even realize are going on behind the scenes because that's what allows a person. 
becoming an authority is one thing, but maintaining and continuing and being able to handle being an authority, that's a totally different thing. It's, it's like money. Making money is um, one part. Keeping money is a whole different thing. Yeah. And so I really love to do the deep dive with people on who are you as the person? Because yeah, we can we we will give you the practical skills of how to be seen as an authority, but now how do you maintain it? How do you grow it? How do you embrace it? Because your confidence is one of the biggest things too. Be you know, someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, I've heard of you, Letitia, and I'd love to hire you." And if you've got the confidence to go, "Yeah, thank you very much. Let's get to work," versus, "Oh, really? Um, oh, what'd you hear? Um, <laughs> I hope I can help you out." And 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 it's a subtle little difference, right? Yes. In who the person is. So yeah, yeah no, that's, that's the difference I see. That's fascinating. And it's funny because, and I've said this in other interviews of people that share their wisdom with me. And I say certain things I feel I've done organically. And uh, when I started the podcast, well, it was because I wanted to inspire people. And somehow yeah. I, I did that soul searching. And while I'm in telecom, I don't make money out of my podcast, nothing like that. But I said, you know, when I talk to friends, I know that they tell me, oh, I'm, I'm leaving this conversation a little bit more inspired. And yes. um, and so every time I met someone inspiring, I felt bad that I couldn't replicate that conversation for others to listen to like this conversation. So now someone else, you know, is going to listen to it and hopefully is going to find something that's going to motivate them. And uh, but about being an authority, I think you're so right, because I've been in the telecom industry for as far as I can remember. And it's a family business, too. So really, I was born into it and uh, but for over 20 years. And three years ago, I bought a book about branding and about uh, mm -hmm. personal branding. And honestly, my friends were looking at me like, you're crazy. What are you doing? And I started becoming more active on LinkedIn. And I, sometimes I meet people and I say, I'm sorry that I'm all over the place, but uh, you know, I'm on a mission. And I wasn't saying anything new or something I didn't know. I didn't even have to learn nothing new. I was just, right. I was just being myself and sharing knowledge and becoming a subject matter expert officially, because I already knew that had the expertise, but I never had purposely, you know, said, okay, I'm going to become a subject matter expert. So it's intuitively, I guess, it's a little bit of what you're saying of becoming an authority. There's something out there that you really know a lot about. And everybody does. And that's exactly it. And it's you giving yourself permission, even though friends are going, you're crazy. And you're like, well, I might be crazy. And that's a good thing. You know, that's <laughs> probably the greatest compliment you could give me. Yeah, because normal is boring and normal is broke. So I don't want to be normal, it's right? And and that's exactly what it is. Like before the interview, I noticed that you reached out and we're now connected on LinkedIn. Yeah, and so I and I'm still learning this stuff because for the last eighteen and a half years that I've traveled around the world, I've contracted out and never had to be out there myself as the brand. Mm -hmm. But since COVID, I'm now reinventing where I'm going from being a contractor to being Robert Raymond Realpel, the brand. And so I even brought on finally a personal assistant, a virtual assistant who's taking over all of my social media. Cause you know, I, I knew I had my fan page on Facebook, but I started Instagram only like a few months ago and LinkedIn I ha I've been on, but I haven't really been using it, but she's now radically revolutionized all my, uh, all my social media. And so my brand is getting stronger. You see, because for me, it wasn't my expertise and I thought I still had to do it all on my own. But that's one of the keys is like you touched on a couple things. One, you got started. That's huge for being an authority. 
Just get started. Quit waiting for everything to be perfect, which so many people do. I love the saying that says one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. And so you took the step and you're moving forward. And I guarantee you, and I'm going to ask this as a question because I I think I know the answer, but I'd love your answer to it. Every podcast episode you do, you probably learn something more and get a little bit better every time. Absolutely. True? Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's so enriching. I mean, the, the relationships, the people I'm meeting, like after my yes. day and people say, but how do you make time? And I say, I, I'm a CEO. I, I manage a company. But, you know, this interview, we're going to have a conversation for 30, 35 minutes. Someone else said it's my episode. You know, when it's ready to publish, it's really a two hour investment of, in my week, which is very doable. And I think people, they see any new venture is going to take so much time. And it really right. only does is doing what you said is you just get started and you see and you are realistic about what you can do and not do. And I think if I couldn't have someone else edit the episodes, I wouldn't be podcasting. This is going to be probably my episode 120 something. And uh, I would have not reached there if it wasn't because someone else is editing because I just don't have the time to edit. And it's not your expertise. So why would you waste your time on something you're not the best at? Yeah, I could See, do it. I do it. It's not my expert. You know, it's not that, but it's just like, and it's the same with the gym and the training and people, you know, doing all these plans that are almost impossible to keep. And I say, it's yeah. good that you're doing it, but do something that it's feasible, you know, in the long term. Yes. And, and that's where like one of my mentors taught me a few years ago, especially for business in my businesses. I'm only allowed to do what only I can do. And you talk about back to basics right there. So when I get contracted out to go around the world and train, I'm the only one that can actually get on the stage and do the training. They're contracting me. But I don't book the hotels and the airfares and all the other things because I can have people do that. So that's not a good use of my time. And what else you said there is, People, one of the biggest holdbacks from becoming an authority is they go, I don't have time. You don't know how busy I am. I have a family. I have a job. I have a business. But what I've realized, and I talk about this with my four currencies, and the currency of time, one of the things that people are really good at is becoming busy, but they're not necessarily productive. And again, that's a world of difference. See, today, I live by the calendar on this phone. And the first thing I put on this calendar are not what people would think. The first thing my wife and I do sit, is sit down with our calendar and we put on our, our balance pieces, our ways of taking care of ourselves, time together, time for each other, time for family, camping trips, all of those things. That goes on the calendar first because in financial, wealth rule number one, pay yourself first. Well, if you're doing that with money, why wouldn't you do that with your time as well? Because most people, they wait till they have the, you know, leftover time at the end of the month, and hopefully they have time to do But they're usually so worn out, they don't have, can't have the energy to do what they want to do to take care of themselves. So I put that on first. The second thing I put on my calendar is focused time. Because research has shown you can only truly stay focused on one thing for about an hour before your mind starts to wander. And that's why people are really good at being busy is they're trying to do so much that they're busy, but busy with distractions. I, writing my new book, I could say, I'm going to come to my office and I'm going to write my book. Eight hours later, I can come out of my office and go, wow, was I ever busy, but it doesn't seem like I got a lot done on the book. What was I doing? 
oh, I was on social media. I was checking emails. I was texting and messaging people. Oh, and I wrote a little bit of the book Mm -hmm. because I was scattered. But on my calendar, if I go 10 to 11, focus time, write book. When, because my wife and, and everybody else sees that in that time, they know don't try and get a hold of me. Because from 10 to 11 for that hour, I am writing my book. And in one hour of being productive, it's basically I can get as much done as six hours of being busy. So I actually free up time for myself by having productivity time, focus time in there. And that's a big thing I've seen as well for people that really help them. Quit being just busy, get productive. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. You know, I I felt that when I had my kids, when, you know, you have to uh, take care of a newborn and breastfeed and do all that fun stuff, plus working, it really became urgent. Like my free time, if I don't get it done now, it's not going to get done because I knew, uh, you know, with a baby, you know, so small, it wasn't I wasn't going to have time. And that stayed with me, although I usually consider myself pretty productive, but I'm with you. You know, these days, the distractions are so many. Just email. If you work with email, there's tons of email that keep getting to your inbox and, and we we just cannot concentrate easily. And uh, so, but that stayed with me in a matter of this is what needs to get done today. And and this is, you know, it's like a purpose and, and that has worked yeah. well. And I got that with motherhood and that stayed. At least it was a good, a good thing besides the babies. <laughs> so and, and it becomes habit. It becomes, it becomes habit. habit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the four currencies of life. So I am curious to know, is, is that all of them that you mentioned? You said. No. I wanna- so, so the first one is the one everybody thinks of, which is money. Yes. And so when it comes to money, if you have too much money, it's something called affluenza. And affluenza is when you start doing crazy things with your money. And so, uh, and too little money is called poverty. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're really stressed out around money. And I've noticed in my research that people have a zone. They have a zone they're in. So when I had my Domino's pizzas example, if we were making less than 40 a year, I was really stressed out about how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to make it work? So that was my poverty level. My affluenza level, if we started making over $100,000 a year, then we started doing investments without doing our due diligence. So we'd lose it. We'd start spending on silly things we didn't really need. So all of a sudden, I would do crazy things. And so while I was in the zone, life just seemed to flow better. Now, everybody's zone for money is different, and your zone will change. So today, as an example, I like my lifestyle. So my poverty level is around $200,000 a year. And because I like my lifestyle, Mm -hmm. my affluence level is about a million dollars a year. Anytime I start making over a million, that's when I start again doing interesting things with Mm -hmm. my money and making bad investments. So that's the currency of money. The second currency is when I did mention the currency of time. We all have the exact same amount of time. Too much time on your hand, you're bored. Too little time, you're stressed. And again, it comes down to learning to be productive versus being busy. And it it blew me away at the beginning, especially of COVID, when everybody's getting locked down at home, how many people were going, oh my God, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I went from flying 200,000 miles a year around the world on average to zero. And I found I was busier when I got home. And I'm like, if you're bored, come on over to my house. I'll put you to work. (laughs) So the currency of time is that one about learning to be productive 
but also how you schedule. Having those balanced pieces is critical because I learned the hard way when I first started training, I was overliving my passion and I got burnt out. I was at home on average only two days a month as I was giving, 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 giving. I forgot to take care of me. And so in 2008, late 2008, I had to take a year off because A, I was burnt out, but B, I hadn't realized because I wasn't taking care of me and I was standing on the stage the wrong way all those hours, I herniated a disc. And I ended up going through two back surgeries and actually taking three and a half years off. Wow. Now, thank goodness, I never had to worry about money. That wasn't a concern because I had taken care of that. You know, but that currency of time, I learned, you know, you go from being active to all of a sudden six weeks in bed, not being able to move because of my back. You, you learn some humbling experiences right away. So time is critical. The third currency of life is the currency of fame. And now, Letitia, have you ever noticed how fame ruins a lot of lives? Yeah, I can see that. This is where it ties into authority as well, because as you become more successful as an authority, that's like having fame. And if you don't understand how to handle it, you're going to end up crashing and crumbling. And so I started looking at what's the difference between people who are able to handle fame and people who are not able. And one of the things that I noticed that stood out for me is the people that are able to handle fame, they are themselves, but they have, I'll use an example of an interview I heard years ago for Jennifer Lopez. Mm -hmm. The person interviewing her said, okay, so Jennifer, you're like a powerhouse. You're amazing actress, singer, um, you businesswoman, all this stuff, but you're also an amazing mom, family person, relationships. How do you handle both? And she says, well, I'm just me. But when I'm in front of the camera, I'm doing business, I'm J-Lo. Mm-hmm. When I'm at home, I'm Jennifer Lopez. And it's me and both, but they're both different roles of my life. And that one hit me big time because when I'm around the world and I'm traveling, I have assistants taking care of everything. I'm treated like, like royalty. And I'm Robert Raymond Realpel. That's my brand. That's who I am. But when I come home, I'm just Robert. I'm the same person, but it's that role. And, and another running joke in my family is when I come home from overseas and I've been in front of thousands of people, had assistants taking care of everything, my wife will look at me and go, honey, you're back home now. No more assistants. Go take out the trash. <laughs> yes. And I love it because it keeps me grounded. See, so people who can't handle fame, they get believing that they're this huge persona. When you become an authority, you, if you get caught up in the ego of, look how amazing I am, it's not going to last a long time and you're going to crash. Like, could you imagine, we love camping. Can you imagine me sitting around a campfire with family and going, don't you know who I am? I'm Robert Realpel. Go get my beer. <laughs> yeah. My family would clue me in very quickly that that's not happening. Yeah, right? no, and, that, and that's really what the, those stories you hear about celebrities, those magazines exist because there's a story around that, you know, of who thought, yeah. you know, who treated who somewhere because they were famous. And, and, and it's yeah. sad, you're right. And, and they weren't educated on how to handle that fame. And, and if, you know, I believe that if you're going to be famous, just like any sports person that also gets these big contracts, there should be mentorship to teach them right away how to handle it. Mm-hmm. How to, you know, even before, because when you start also getting all this attention, ego, I've watched so many people become a trainer for the first time. And instantly they think, since they start getting some recognition, it's like, I'm a God. And it's like, no, you're not. You're human like everybody else. And, it, and I call it the star struck stage. 
and in the training industry, it's not that you're not going to go through it. Everybody does. The question is how quickly do you get through it and realize you're still human, right? Plain and simple. So that's the currency of fame. The fourth currency is the one I like to spend most of my energy on mm-hmm. is the currency of experience. Mm-hmm. See, most people, they get overwhelmed in their life and it's because they're so far ahead of themselves trying to like, here I am and I have this goal and they're a thousand steps ahead of themselves trying to figure out every what if scenario. I've got to do this. I've got to get this done. I've got to do it by this time. It's got to happen this way. And so no wonder they get overwhelmed or they're so far in the past of what happened to them and playing the victim that they're never present and they're not experiencing the here and the now. See, good, bad, ugly, or otherwise, I want to experience life. I want to experience every part of life so that when my time is over, I can look back and not go, what did I do? I see there's money in the bank, but what did I do? I want to look back and go, I remember my camping trips, my anniversaries, being time with family. You know, just I want to, I want to experience things to the fullest. So even I had to do a full reinvent back in 2020, March 10th, 2020. I land back home in Canada from doing a three-day training in India. March 11th, I got locked down because I was in another country and my world changed. All of a sudden, all my live events around the world are being canceled. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue gone. And I had a choice. I could sit there and go, why? And be the victim, which I did for a couple of weeks. I will, let me be clear. It took me off guard and, and trying to figure it out. I physically made myself sick. That's how powerful the mind is. But then when my wife and I got through that, after a couple of weeks, we asked two powerful words. What's next? And when we asked that question, we started thinking about, we're blessed. We have a beautiful acreage here that we bought three years ago with the intent that four, five, six, seven years down the road, we'd build our own training center. So instead of me traveling around the world, my students could come to me. Well, when we said, what's next? And we're talking, my wife goes, well, you're home. We have the time. Let's build the training center now. Now, of course, my first initial reaction was lack. But what we don't know how long it'll be. We don't know when this revenue will come back. And, you know, so, but then it was like, no, two more powerful words, all in. We decided to go all in. And December 12th of 2020, we broke ground on our training center. Last week, I moved into my office for the first time. And we're now getting it set up. And on the other side of the wall that you see behind me is a 1,500 square foot training center that's fully wired for audio, digital, everything like that, so that I can now do all, and I've gone digital. I do my trainings online. I do them virtually. I'm still training around the world without leaving my home. And now I've got the facility to really take it to another level. So because of that, I'm, I do everything experiential. And because I'm willing to adjust and to be an authority, you've got to adjust with the times. Look at how many companies that were Fortune 500 companies in the 60s that are no longer even existent today because they didn't change. They were too stringent. And where, where exactly are you located? In Miami, Florida. In Miami. Okay. So you know Blockbuster Video. Oh, yeah. What a perfect example. You know, not many people realize that when they were the top and everybody, you know, they were a huge corporation, Netflix went to them and said, look, we've got this idea and we're doing this. And we'd like to invest in us because we're in alignment. And 
Blockbuster said, we're not giving you a million dollars. You, you guys are crazy. Blockbuster went bankrupt a few years later, and look where Netflix is today. It's amazing. I just told this to my husband. It's an amazing synchronicity Two, three days ago because I, I subscribed to Netflix even when the DVDs were coming to you and you could subscribe to two DVDs at a time or three. So, yeah. But I was, you know, I used to rent from Blockbuster all the time, and I just told my husband, it's like, it's still unbelievable how they got rid of Blockbusters and how they pass on the opportunity and, uh, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. Yes, it's an amazing story. Powerful. It is. And and a great example of, and I think it's Corral. Uh, you remember Corral yes, Dishes, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. And I remember reading a story about them, and I think it's Corral. I, I'm sure it's that back in the 70s, people weren't buying their dishes as much. And because they were a strong company, they had a, more than a year worth of cash flow that even if times got tough, they could survive for a year without having to lay people off and downsize. And so times were getting really tough and they decided to bring their staff together and they said, here's the reality. Here's where we're at. If things don't change, we're gonna have, we only have a year left and we're gonna have to start really you know, laying people off and changing. We wanna come together with some ideas. What could we do that would allow the company to grow? And one of their engineers said, well, you know, there's this new thing called fiber optics. We have all the machines and we basically create the same kind of material with a few adjustments to our machinery. We could create fiber optics on the off time and we can use that to possibly supplement the revenue. They became the largest fiber optics producing company in the world because they were willing to adjust and reinvent when need be. And as an authority, don't ever think that's the other downfall is if you get comfortable that I've got all the answers that I don't need to learn anymore. I'm the authority. You're going to be done. You're going to be toast pretty quick. So you've got to always work on you. What's the newest things? How do I adjust? What can I do to keep ahead of the curve? And that, that's another big key to it as well. Wow, this is uh, amazing. I feel we can talk for hours, but I definitely, <laughs> you know, I think you have convinced my audience to go check your webpage. I know that the book that you wrote also, Success Left a Clue, that you can register and people can get it there, right, on your webpage? Yeah, because, you, see, because um, you've been so gracious to have me on as a guest, what I want to do as a gift to your audience from us, from both of us, because I honor the fact that people took their time to listen. It's one thing for you and I to have a conversation, take our time, but for people to actually take their valuable time and listen, I so appreciate that. And because they have, if they go to robertrealpel.com, just my name, they'll be able to download the full digital copy, not just a couple chapters, the full digital copy of my book, Success Left a Clue. And now it does come with a caveat though, Lakeisha. Okay. It, it, here's a caveat. I didn't write this book for them to read and then put on the shelf and make it shelf help. That's not <laughs> why I wrote help. it. I like that. <laughs> oh, good. You got the joke. Oh, yeah. Some people look at me like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I'm glad you got my warped sense of humor. Yeah. And because of the six steps I wrote in this book, Step number three is take action. Again, biggest difference between successful people and people that don't is successful people take action. So I wrote it as a workbook and there's action steps all the way through the book. And what I actually do is it'll say, did you do the last action? If not, stop reading right now, go back and do the other action and then continue reading because I know people are creatures of habit. So I want them to be able to have that change in their life by actually utilizing what they're learning. And so as our gift to them, I'd love for them to be able to go and 
download the copy of the book and use it. Because if they do and they do the action steps, it will change your life. Oh, thank you. That's that's very kind of you. And yeah, one of my purpose in life is to be an agent of change and to help people that want to change and that want to empower, you know, be empowered to give them the tools. And we had so many guests that have been so kind like you to to put these resources, you know, in the hands of anybody that wants them and get more familiar. And uh, you know that there's tons of information there, people that can get you unstuck, uh, stories, you know, great storytellers such as yourself that really can give you that extra push. So I, I thank you for that. And you know, the the last question to every interview I, I, I do is about what keeps you connecting to your true essence? What makes you tick besides all the amazing things you've shared with us today? Well, my passion and my mission in life is to guide and assist individuals in not only identifying, but living their purpose with passion. And so that's what gets me up in the morning is I get to, when, when someone comes up to me or sends me a message and they say, remember when you said this, here's how it changed my life? That just, that jacks me up. That gives me so much energy and juice. So that's what keeps me going day in, day out is because I know I'm making an impact on people's lives and helping them live an authentic, passionate life. That's awesome. Well, I definitely probably will have to come check out that training facility in Canada and go to one of your <laughs> worships at some point. <laughs> oh, well, I'll tell you um, what we've decided to do with the 1,500 square feet to start with is I'm going to set it up as a Zoom training where there'll be four or five different angle cameras. I'll probably have eight or nine monitors so I can see around 400 students at a time, have a full production behind to be able to make it seamless on the other side. And I just really have it as a full-on experiential, there's that word again, experiential training. Because, you know, even, like even last week, I had 160 students from Philippines on. And I, on my system I have now, with my two monitors, I was only able to see about 80 of them. And I want to be able to see them all because I make sure cameras are on. I'm, I'm calling people out. I'm like, hey, I didn't see you high five because I'm having them high five mm -hmm. cameras, high five themselves. I, I just love to have fun when I do training. So I'm excited about what we're about to build out in the training center itself. Awesome. Well, best of luck to you, Robert. I really admire everything you're doing and uh, your positive message and, and, you know, inspiration. And I definitely will be tracking your progress and your new book when it comes out. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.